Esports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Hi, everybody, and welcome. I'm Rebecca. Today, I have with me Jason McIntosh as my guest. Jason is the Director of Customer Experience over at GG Circuit. Hi, Jason. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in Minnesota. Where are you? Are you in Indianapolis? I am in Indianapolis. It is, uh, you know, we're not too far, just almost directly south and having some good weather, trying to have summer hang on a few more days. Right. I know. Same here. We're having like the cool, crisp mornings and the nice sunny afternoons, but it's um, absolutely gorgeous here. I would love for you to share with our guests about really your background. You've been working in esports for for a long time, like before it was even me, probably even coined as being esports. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but you've been in the space for a really long time. I'd love to hear um, a little bit about like where you went to school and what you were studying and how you kind of discovered esports as a career path? Yeah, well, I I went to Purdue University and my initial major, I guess, was in computer technology. So a lot of people call it information systems at other colleges. And so, you know, I got out of college around the year 2000 and really just began to utilize, at that time, it was really popular for web design, web development skills. And so I kind of applied that at a few different companies companies. But just with happenstance, a few years out of uh, college, I met a friend of mine. His name was Zach Johnson. And at that time, he had started a land center called Ebash Game Centers in Terre Haute. And so I kind of latched on to him again, you know, with with my normal job and worked for him part time, just kind of helping him build his gaming presence. You know, it was more land center internet cafe at that time. Like you said, you know, it wasn't really uh, full on esports, but we just kind of worked together on a lot of events and tournaments in his location, helping to biz- build that business. And that's kind of where I got my start uh, in around 2004. And then that that really led on to some of the things that we do today, which is we do management software. But in that time from 2004 to, to 2014, when we started the management software, you know, we've done nationwide tournaments with land centers. We've done racing seats at the Indy 500. We've done summer camps where we teach technology lessons and and esports gaming. So, so we've really ran the gamut of a lot of different things that you can do in in the esports gaming uh, industry. So, you've been kind of involved with GG Circuit since its inception. Correct. Uh huh. Awesome. And it sounds like you guys are kind of a blend of being behind the scenes and building out some of the back end technology within the esports ecosystem, as well as being forward facing. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about really the differences between those two approaches in terms of, you know, really tar- targeting totally separate audiences. How does that how does that feel? How does that look and feel from from an organizational standpoint and a sales standpoint? 
Yeah. In this day, we're really the industry leader in, in software services and support. So over the last six years, we've built multiple tools for people to just make the land center business easier, the venue business easier. As, as that has grown, we've realized there are a lot of people that aren't hobbyists or a lot of people that aren't technologists that don't know all the variables that go into creating an esports venue. So on, on the other hand, we've, you know, we've got a lot of people that have double digit years in land center industry. So we've kind of tagged on uh, services and consulting for those locations. And it can be anywhere from us just helping you get startup information together to us coming on site and building tables and desks and chairs and installing the software and training your employees all across the board. And now we're kind of getting to a point where there's more and more people that just say, hey, I'm a business visionary. I see that this can be uh, something that's awesome for my area. And I really see me being able to expand this into franchises or something like that. So now we're kind of going back to the well and saying, okay, well, we'll not only be your software and services folks, but we'll also source everything for you. You know, so we'll do the the, the, the source, the tables and desks and PCs from companies and, and get them all onto your doorstep. So as we, you know, we've been doing this for 15 years, but as we're more and more on the business side, there's little wrinkles that are popping up here and there that we're able to take advantage of just from our, our vast amount of knowledge and experience. Right. Are you finding that clients are reaching out to you because they're seeing an opportunity, but they might not have that level of you know, technological experience or, you know, even understanding where to, where to start, or are you, and maybe you're doing both at the same time, you know, working with well-established brands and just helping them scale really quickly. Yeah. It's a combination. Every customer is a puzzle a lot of times. And, you know, sometimes people are, you know, I've got my location ready to go and we're going to open in two weeks. I'm ready for your software to, you know, I've, I've got the, this idea, I think I know what to do, but I just need help lowering the brick walls and 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 filling in those puzzle pieces. Yeah, it's really interesting because I've been in this space for a while. I I had not met anyone on your team yet in in some of the projects that I've worked on over the years. You guys are kind of appear to me being like this behind the scenes kind of secret weapon. Um, not really the ones who are stepping out in the forefront from a from a marketing strategy. I think it is a pretty great approach because you're you're able to really serve the entire market and not kind of get pigeonholed or into being seen as a competitor. Is that where you still play today? Yeah, you know, we always say we always say that we're Switzerland in esports. We want to work with everybody if they want to work with us. And I really see us from a from a technology standpoint, it's kind of like we're the esports operating system. You know, we're the we're the windows of the esports venues that are out there. Where we have worked with casinos, we've worked with, you know, we have 100 universities that use our platform, mom and pop esports shops, board and card games, even like places like Spotify and GameStop we've worked with. So, you know, a lot of times that we've even done like white label stuff for folks like Ultimate Gamer and uh, and a few others where the only time you'd ever see us 
is really the the logo when the PC boots up. So yeah, I, I would definitely say we're the behind the scenes folks, but it always seems like no matter who's talked about in the news, we've been in contact or they utilize our products or services. And then how are people discovering you? Is it like organic or like, is it just built with people are saying these are the guys who are going to help you get yeah, there? It's a, it's a great question. I had to, I had to think about this a little bit because this is a marketing focused podcast and I hate to say it, but we've done very little outreach, you know, in our, in our, our years, it's, it's kind of like, you know, places like esports, Arena Las Vegas, or the stadium in Arlington, or Helix Esports, you know, a lot of people see those flashier names in large venues, and people will reach out to them to say, you know, what's the, you know, how are you running this on day to day? And it's just kind of word of mouth and outreach. Luckily for us, somehow we've managed to succeed without a lot of marketing. But, you know, I, it's just so interesting to me, how much the the esports industry has grown that we get people all the time come and ask us like how can I get involved in esports mm-hmm. and it's it's just like a regular business now if you have a skill and you have a love for gaming there's a way to apply yourself in some sort of esports related industry you may not be a, a game developer or you may not be you know a shoutcaster or something I guess what I would consider being a nerd, something super cool, but you can still be an accountant for an esports team or something like that. You know, there's just a lot of different things that you can do to build a career in esports. Yeah. And and to that, I know you had sent in notes to me when we were kind of having conversations back and forth via email that you were able to really turn your love of gaming into a career. What advice would you give for young people, college students, high schools, students on how do they how do they break into the esports space? I get asked that question all the time. Yeah, one of the th- things that one of the things that we find that we don't necessarily agree with in, in the esports venue arena is it's all about competition. I had to have big tournaments every weekend. I've got to have people coming out in droves to to reach those players or to do the path to pro, which is a a term I hear a lot. And a lot of times you're going to see that those competitors are going to be about 10% of your market. And, you know, you really got to think about the entire gamer landscape when you're thinking about your business. And we've kind of broken this down to what we call the five C's of gaming. Of course, you got your competitors, but you've got your collectors. Those are just those people that are grinding away, getting achievements, getting badges in games, trying to experience everything about the game that they can. There's your communicators, just people that are wanting to meet others, whether it's Twitch chat or Discord or even places you know in a venue, whether you're just trying to meet new friends that have your uh, likes, dislikes, or um, trying to build a team. Then there's those consumers. Those are our gamers in, in conjunction with watching Twitch streams or watching YouTube or, you know, learning more about esports or just details about their favorite game. And then you've got your creators. So those are going to be more like the shoutcasters and and the, the Twitch streamers and the YouTube influencers. And all of those five have, you know, a lot of different job industries that you can jump into that we've all known that are related to gaming. 
I love that. I literally just took a note because I love, I love the, I love the five C's and I'm going to relist. Well, you know, right a lot now. of times I get, a lot of times I get on these podcasts and I don't want to be like me, 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 this is what we do. And we're fantastic. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart and I really do want young people to see this and say, you know, I really like, I really like math or I really like graphics and video. How can I apply my loves that are, you know, maybe not gaming related into gaming and esports? Yeah. And you see it in other industries in the entertainment industry. You know, you think about like a drama class or something and you, you do have all of these individuals, whether they're, you know, stage set design, wardrobe design, lighting, engineering, sound engineers that also are maybe at the high school and they have a role and they're part of that club as well. And they're learning these different disciplines and they might go into, you know, maybe they work on Broadway or they're working for a big photo studio and they're applying those things in that area of things that they love. They might love theater, but not aspire to be the actor, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and, and, and in pro sports, it's like the very easy to understand analogy as well with a business of football and all of the people that are key to making sure that the, you know, that the stadium is run smoothly and that the games are promoted and marketed and amplified. So I see a lot of those same, you know, very similar roles, almost like a blend of two worlds in esports and gaming with regards to, you know, a lot of work that needs to be done in order, you know, for a team to be successful. But then even beyond that, what are those services that exist that are necessary, like you mentioned, accounting, but even from like a, a marketing and brand perspective, you know, if you think about in insurance with like the state farm experience being in that space as well, you know, I'm really seeing like a lot of services gravitating to the space and, and brands putting people in roles within their large organizations to work directly with the teams and with the organizations and with the talent. So, I mean, it really is an expansive landscape and a lot of different ways. And one thing when I talk to young people is just really ask them, what are the skills that that they're already developing or the other things that they're interested in? Because you can probably apply those skills into esports, which is what I did. I had, you know, brand management, production, marketing skills, and some sales skills that I just applied to the esports world. It, I, did, I, you know, obviously you have to understand the culture and the nature of esports and gaming as a whole. And there's a lot of work to be done. I feel like I'm never an expert in the space. I'm always learning, but what I bring to the table is what I had experience in doing and, and just in informing that. What types of things from going to school for, you know, more in information technology type, you know, computer system, did you really feel like you were able to bring to this organization when it was in infancy as a startup? Yeah, good question. I'm going to date myself, but I graduated from college 20 years ago. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of web design and web development classes. And, and I had managed to get an internship at, at, a, at an engine company. And they dropped a, a book on my, my desk one summer and they said, learn this and have a web page for us by the end of the, the year or the end of the summer, excuse me. And so a lot of my technology was self-taught, but, but you know, my gaming days are long gone around that same time. 
And so my interest more was in, in the data of what's coming into esports and how can I visualize that and build that out on the web for folks to see the players that are coming and participating and, and what they're doing on a skill level. And we're still doing that a lot to this day. But I, I found my web design and my web development skills were able to be applied in a lot of different industries. Everybody needed a computer person or everybody needed a everybody needs some sort of way to promote themselves online. You know, you just may be stuck on Twitter all day, but you know, that's an important industry, social media. So I think the biggest thing for me is I like to teach and I like to have other people learn. And so not only was I able to be in esports, even though I I was not super, super into the culture, but I just thought it was a cool business. And so being able to take my interest in web design, my interest in graphics, my interest in video, and be able to apply myself and just be marketable in a lot of different areas. For many, many years, we were a bootstrap, a startup. And so I had to go beyond my web skills a lot of times to learn a little bit about marketing and to learn a bit, a little bit about sales and, and wear a bunch of hats because we can't always afford to hire somebody. And I think a lot of esports organizations are like that. You know, they're, they're scrappy. They're, try, they're trying to make it. But they have to sacrifice a lot of time and a lot of hours to do all the things that they're required to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're probably right around the same age because I remember working for a digital agency in the very early 2000s. And it was, I mean, at the time, it was one of the very first all digital shops. Everyone else was very focused on some of the older disciplines in print and doing brochures and a lot of email marketing. So we were really focused on being a web a web shop and infusing a lot of video and, and rich photography into websites, which at that time, which sounds really funny to imagine, but like there were there was hardly any imagery on any websites. It was just kind of like a contact card. And I remember getting pushback from potential clients when we would reach out to them about redoing their website or building one for them if they didn't have one. And a lot of times they would say that they were in the yellow pages and they didn't need a website, right? Like it was just so early and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of schools that had any type of courses or uh, degrees that you could take in a lot of the disciplines that were definitely needed in order to be successful. So we learned and I learned by trial and error as well, like just figure it out, right? Yeah. Like I was just like a figure it outer, if that could have been on a <laughs> card, we're just going to figure it out because we have no idea. And everything was just so new. And I remember when I was at this firm at the time called Ham- Hamley Wood, and we were working on a lot of things for FedEx, we helped them build their intranet and, and one of their like customer service portals at the time. And our entire digital team were freelancers. We just had to literally pin people together from all over. It was just like a really, it's a really exciting time. So I've seen like, you know, I think both of us saw the emergence of like that world and then the onset of social media when that was like completely brand new. And now there's there's this, there's this esports, like the expansion, which is happening at just absolutely groundbreaking speeds and everyone's trying to figure it out. What I really think is just remarkable is that you guys were really building out 
esports technology and aggregating data at a, at a really early stage. And what I'm hearing within the industry right now is really a need for more of the tech tech side to be more integrated with each other. How do we how do we integrate and access this data? There's a lot of siloed approaches out there. How do we aggregate all of that together and have a better line of sight as to what's going on in this industry as a, as a whole um, yeah. from a technical standpoint? What are some of the gaps that that you're currently seeing or your organization sees in the space that um, you hope will be kind of consolidated in the future? Yeah, that's a really good question. Fortunately for us, we're able to see a lot of data that isn't publicly available. And so what I mean by that is a lot of times when you're working with game developers or you're working with an analytics company, you know, they are very close to the chest in regards to their data or their APIs may not be publicly accessible. So we've done a lot of work in trying to find different ways to be able to pull game statistics. And the nice thing for us is that we're installed on like 20,000 PCs globally, our, our, our software. And it allows us to see, you know, how many folks are going into uh, brick and mortar locations, who's launching the, the latest and greatest game, what's the most popular thing, how many matches are being uh, played a day, how many hours is the standard person going into a brick and mortar place. So we have a a grasp on a lot of different data that may not be publicly accessible within those brick and mortar locations. Something, you know, something else that came up recently was uh, we were surveying all of our universities that are on our platform just to see what kind of hardware they had, what, what kind of graphics cards they were using as a way to say, Hey, esports industry, this is what's popular, and this is what's popular in this part of the country or or an international area as a way to say, hey, esports companies, this is where you need to focus your marketing because you're being blown away by the competition. And so we're very lucky in that way. And it just it's 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 a lot like pulling teeth, to be honest. Mm -hmm. A lot like pulling teeth sometimes to try to work with an industry that may not think you're a huge piece of their business to try to say, hey, give me access to your data so we can do this cool thing in our software. Sometimes those those are very long uh, business conversations and relationships to try to build. And so a lot of times we have to kind of go off and do our own thing with what we can. Right. No, I, I would imagine having such a deep understanding then of the kind of the pulse of what's happening in the industry. Are you able to kind of discern all of that in a digestible way to help inform your clients and your, you know, your next clients on on sound strategy for projects that they're having you help consult on? Well, we kind of we kind of have just a, a I wouldn't say vanilla, but we have we have a package of what we provide to locations. We have a website out there called industry ggcircuit.com and, and industry.ggcircuit.com. What it is, is just, it's the state of our, our GG circuit ecosystem. So it is how many more locations are using our software this month? How many players did we see in the past month? How many PCs 
are, are you know, it's just a, a lot of different graphical data, but we also show the popularity of games within our network. And so in, in that just by itself, we probably see 100 to 200 inquiries about our software or service a month. So there's no lack in people interested in, in creating an esports venue, that's for sure. But those stats are going to tell someone whether or not this industry is still on the up or is it, you know, crashed. You know, obviously we had a lot of things happen during the pandemic where we lost like, you know, half of our customer base because they either had to close temporarily and they they temporarily suspended their subscription with us or they had to close altogether. So I would say we're we're probably about 75% back to that number we were back in the pandemic, but it's been a slow rise now that places are, are reopening. So, but yeah, I mean, we, we're able to evaluate a lot of different data pieces and, and with our consulting, we can look at different consulting gigs where based on what we did or what we told the owners and if the owners followed our instructions, whether or not they're succeeding. And so we're able to kind of look at that at different industries and different locations to see if it's our work that's helping them succeed or if we just provided them software and they still succeeded on their own or not. So there's there's a lot of things that we can evaluate uh, in that space. There's been, I mean, I, I feel like I'm hearing about all of these new land centers with companies like Belong Gaming coming from the UK into the US market. It's a lot of a lot of smaller scale independent places opening up. We just had we we just had one open up near my house, maybe three miles from here in Minnesota. And then you know the esports arena within Walmart. We've got another one, maybe eight miles away. I, I, do you feel like there's a bubble happening? Do you think is are we at risk of a land center bubble in the near future, or do you feel like it, it's it's a, a appropriate trend of them kind of cropping up after after the restrictions of COVID have been lifting? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I'll just be very frank with the esports venue model is still not a proven business. It has, even though we've been able to run our location for 16 years, there's been a lot of lean years where we just barely made it. So it'll be very interesting to see how Belong and Belong Vindex, the Contender esports, the Simplicity esports, the Helix esports, Sports. Who else is out of the esports arenas? It'll be interesting to see what they can do. I like the Belong model, and we talked to those guys probably four years ago before Vindex took them over because they didn't. They don't use management software. At least they didn't at the time. They may have a system now, but I like what they're doing and that they're inviting grassroots organizations to come and use their uh, locations. I, I like that to see people. Uh, get butts in the door. So we'll just kind of see what happens there. But I I, I still think that that we have an advantage in that uh, bottom line, creating and starting a location is difficult, but we've got the folks on our team that, that are able to kind of apply a formula to help people get started up. All I can say is that it'll be interesting. I really, you know, I really think a movement here for professional esports and and whatever else, but we've got to find a way for the common Joe to come with his buddy and want to come to a location versus just sitting at home on their um, headsets. And surprisingly what we've found a lot is 
is especially through the pandemic, you know, we, we did a big pivot where we built an at-home client for ways for people to be participants in automated events through stat tracking. And we found that surprisingly, the, the, the crowd or the consumers from, from an at-home gaming PC was not as willing to participate. And I think a lot more uh, still lean more on consoles than they do PC gaming, which I felt was a very interesting outcome of, of, that, of that pivot. But we've still found some success there and we've got some future thoughts for an at-home client. But that was a way for our um, locations that use our in-person software to kind of s- survive or provide uh, ways for their players to connect to them during the pandemic. And you guys also work with colleges and universities. What are the key differences that you're seeing um, with the collegiate approach and bringing students in to really, you know, game on campus versus a land center approach kind of off campus? Yeah, we, we're finding a lot of different scenarios in the university market. Um, and it, it, I would say the vast majority want to create a public space for their students to game. And depending on the university, they may want ROI. They may just want an open space for their their, their students to come play. But we're seeing, number one, a public space for people to come play. That's about 90% of our our universities. Some just have an esports team area for practice. And so maybe the much smaller venue, but just a way for five folks to come and sit down and and play in their MOBA games or or whatever they have, but usually it's a smaller space. Sometimes we have folks that just want a space for their esports club. You know, they always have, have some sort of esports meetup and and whatnot. And then I would say that the some just make it a completely open space where you even allow the community to come in and pay to play. So it's really across the board. And it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about each customer being a puzzle to figure out. But again, the there's no lack of interest in providing esports on campus, and and I say this because I just sat in a webinar with uh, ACUI, which is the organization for college unions, last week, and there was there was about seventy people in that webinar wanting to learn more about esports and how they get it on campus and figure out the puzzle. Yeah, for sure. When you when you start having conversations with a client like that who may not know much about esports, they think about it like how they would an NFT or blockchain or another buzzword that is kind of trending. How do you usually start working with um, a client like that? What's your, what's your process, your discovery process? Well, for us, again, at a, at a minimum, it takes about 30 days to obtain a, to obtain a customer. And that's, that's either we're providing them a 30-day demo of our software, but usually in that 30 days, we will have one to two face-to-face Zoom calls or whatever, just to talk over what their scenario is and what their dream world is and how we can provide what their what their dream scenario is. Unfortunately, I guess for our customers, I would say a lot of times that means the bottom line that, that the amount that they're paying is usually a lot more than they expect. And, and it's also a, I would say we find a lot of times that as we're kind of honing their scenario, they think about all the variables involved in their uh, venue. And they think about some of the work that has to go into it and the students that they have to hire or the IT team that they have to get involved. 
and they realize this is a lot more than I expect. And so we're trying to provide services in that area to A, give them ROI without having to do a whole lot, B, provide remote support and maintenance services so that they don't have to hire staff to do it at a much cheaper price. And then, you know, providing our consulting services a lot of times is going to save them a huge amount of time of banging their head on the desk, trying to figure out, you know, how do I get this network to work on a college campus? And how do I have these PCs get updated with the latest games all the time when my IT team has already got a full plate? So, you know, it's it's just a matter of kind of feeling that out and having multiple conversations. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of times they're fine and they, they go on and they just need our software subscriptions. But a lot of times we'll offer them up this stuff in, in a quote and they'll do this for two or three months and come back to us and say, you know, we just don't have time to keep this updated. Can we add this service now? So, you know, I... I would say at least a month, probably six months to get a customer to come on board. So it can be a long lead time to finalize that sale. Yeah, I would imagine. So that's that's awesome. What's, what's next? What's next for, for GG Circuit? Yeah, great question. So we, I mentioned this earlier, but we're starting to do a lot more what we call turnkey packages, where we provide everything at X cost per station, PCs, desks, chairs, peripherals, our software, server sourcing, our team to come out, set it up, our team to remotely maintain it and support it. And a lot of people are going for that right now because we have a, we have good inroads to hardware and that's very scarce right now. But we're getting a lot of, I would say, not, not into the esports industry, folks like, like casinos and colleges, but also just like traditional sports locations where they're doing a lot of AAU stuff and they want to add in esports and see what happens. So <clears throat> it's those business visionaries out there that just want us to handle all the variables and they run the business. Another thing that we've been working really hard on is what I would call an esports attraction. So we're working with a lot of family entertainment chains and we're working with a lot of movie theaters where they want this as a separate revenue stream in regards to their movie theaters, but they want it 98% self-service. So we're working on a completely different version of our software for places like that, bowling alleys, co-working spaces, apartment complexes, et cetera, where all they have to do is have somebody keep an eye on it to make sure the hardware doesn't walk off. And uh, everybody will be able to you know, pay on screen. You know, we're, we're kind of looking at it as more of a, what we're calling like a loot drop, where every hour, whoever's participated in that hour has a chance to win a prize. And lighting schemes and everything else. So it's a really cool project. It probably won't be announced till mid-November. So you got the sneak peek, Rebecca. And I'd say other than that, we are, we're putting a book together for how to create an esports venue, just putting all of all 15 plus years of our experience into a book and, and trying to provide insight that we do from on, on daily calls with, with customers. And so uh, we're hoping that 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 provides a lot of information and and helps people make a decision on whether or not they want to start an esports venue. That is so cool. I I love the the movie theater type of a concept. It 
it reminds me of, you know, when you go take your kids movie theater or go to a bowling alley and there's, you know, the totally separate area that has maybe laser tag and it's this whole built out experience or, you know, the, the arcade where you just get your plastic card and you load your money on it and you have a certain amount of points that, that you can deduct from and, and earn prizes. I mean, I think that this sounds like just the next evolution of how people are wanting to spend their time and their energy. And I, and I love that it, it has the, a model of being kind of very self-directed uh, mm-hmm. by, the, by the user. So that's a real model. A lot of people talk about esports and theaters, and I can't remember which organization tried to do something in the theater where they had, we were like competing on the screen, but it was like a little yeah, more difficult. It, it, it was Super League Gaming, did a lot of things in theaters. I'm not sure who else recently did a, somebody else recently did a theater announcement where was it they were going to do control a lot of- and Cinemark? I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mission Control. And that'll be interesting to see how that goes. We, we know the guys at Mission Control, we really respect what they do with esports leagues and they've, they've got a really good niche there. I know that you're involved on, on some level with mission control, but I uh, leagues are just, it's kind of a mystery to me sometimes why there's, there's not a huge, like a lot of people, a lot of forfeit fit, fitting and matches or people aren't showing up for matches and, but they've been able to kind of lessen that percentage of, of matches and for, forfeits. So I give them uh, kudos for that. And then been able to find a lot of, Parks and Rec and other areas, folks like that that are interested in doing esports leagues. Where, and I'd love to to try to talk to them a little bit more about how we can utilize them because we are more business to business in helping them make the business efficient. Where mm-hmm. we do automated events and stuff, but it's more like a high score on an arcade cabinet. We don't really facilitate the tournaments and leagues. And I think there could be some some synergy there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then on the book idea, I, I think that's just brilliant. There's just like not a lot. I mean, there's a lot of content in this space on like how to build a stream and, and, but the infrastructure side of the business is always something where people are spending a lot of time putting a lot of effort into figuring out each individual resource that they're going to need and sourcing all of that, which I think your model of having this almost you know, full circle, full service offering that is more plug and play, probably not entirely plug and play, <laughs> but more plug and play for people. And being able to share that thought leadership, I think is just remarkable and, and it will help people get there faster. And mm-hmm. I always say from me being a consultant on kind of a brand and marketing side, I don't, I'm not necessarily going to do something that your own internal marketing team couldn't get to, couldn't figure out, but they're probably going to need to do six months or more of research to get the insight that I just have from the level of experience and the years of experience. Right. So you can get there, but I could help you get there faster. And I think that's the beauty of what you guys are building. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Do you mind if I plug that? I mean, we're doing some pre-orders now on the book. Yeah. Yeah. For Um, sure. Where can people find you? How, where are they going to get it? Yeah. I mean, they, if they just want to find us for talking about venues and software and stuff, they can just Google GG circuit, but specifically if they want to get the book, which should be coming out, I think the beginning of November, or I'm targeting November 1st to have it out. It's at that esportsbook.com. That esportsbook.com. And is there going to be a digital 
audio version as well as a as a hard copy? There will be a digital version of the book while they're waiting on the hard copy to come. Great. Are you voicing? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't put that on my my to-do hat list, but I, I'd say that's probably a good thing to think about. Yeah. Although I, I'm pretty boring and monotone. So and maybe this is a boring and monotone topic, but we'll, we'll see. I don't want to put people to sleep while they're listening to it in their car. <laughs> there are actually some audio. Well, I mean, I would say maybe one night a week, I will purposefully put on like Neil deGrasse Tyson to fall asleep. I find mm-hmm. him fascinating, but there is definitely something in his voice that helps me fall asleep. Yeah. So not entirely bad. I wouldn't fall asleep to it during the day, but I do <laughs> like listening to, I do like to listen to audiobooks or masterclass or other things in order to help me get out of my own um, head for a while. So what about you as you, you as a brand, how do people reach out to you? How can they connect with you if they want to learn more about really getting started with with GG Circuit, are you the guy that they should be calling or do they just do an inquiry on the website um, and, and how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, they can go out to our corporate website, which is ggcircuit.com. And that ha- that'll that get them wherever they need to go. But I think specifically there is a, a chat widget on our website and we have 24-7 support always manning that and they can get you in the right place or answer your questions right on the site. I think beyond that, you know, we're on all the socials with GG Circuit. And so whether you're just looking for software, or you're looking for the full meal deal, we can, we can get you where you need to go. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on my show, Jason. Thank you for having me and wish you the best, Rebecca. Thank you. <laughs> 